Hello and welcome to episode two of the Cough Pod, my Coventry podcast which looks to celebrate the best of the city. What an amazing response it was to my first episode. I was a bit nervous sticking it out there, but I have to say the response from the people of the city, as always, was encouraging and supportive. And it was great to see people finding the episode interesting, especially the interviews that took place. Now, this episode is an interview with Pete Chambers, somebody I've come to know over the past couple of years. Pete is the oracle of music in the city. Along with his wife, Julie, and the amazing volunteers, Pete runs the Coventry Music Museum. I've been to the Music Museum a few times now and every single time I visit I find something new that I hadn't spotted before. When I was thinking about the kind of people that I wanted to interview, Pete was at the top of my list and I was really pleased when he agreed to come on the podcast and talk to me about his history in the city, about music and about the Music Museum. So take a listen, let me know your thoughts as always, I hope you enjoy it, I hope you find it interesting and thank you as always for your support. So we're here today at the Coventry Music Museum. I think we've said as part of the podcast, what I'm looking to do is to interview various people in the city who have got a strong Coventry story. And I don't think there's anybody that will interview that has a stronger Coventry story than who I've got here with me today. Uh, I'm really pleased that we've got Pete Chambers here with us, who's going to tell us about his history in the city. And then more recently, the uh, introduction of the Coventry Music Museum, where we are sat today. Pete, hello. Hiya, good to see you. Thanks for coming. No, my pleasure. So, Pete, come on, tell me where we are then. Tell me more about the Music Museum. Well, yeah, you're in the Coventry Music Museum. Uh, We're just coming up to our eighth birthday uh, very soon in November. So that's quite exciting. I couldn't believe it. Eight years, you know, it's gone very, very quick. Uh, And it's all down to the kindness of everybody that's helped us put this together, all the, uh, the musicians and, of course, you know, all the uh, the volunteers who were just amazing, you know, they all work for free. We all work for free. So, yeah, so we're sat here and uh, looking at uh, all the Coventry mementos and collectibles and things that people have loaned us, the, the Lennon bench over there. And, uh, you know, I never tire for coming in here and uh, just every day that we come in, it's just a joy. And I think people might think that it's a scar and two-tone museum, but I think you and I have had conversations in the past where it's not. It's a music museum for the city. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, We go out of our way to explain that we're not just about two-tone. Okay, you know, I would say 40, probably 50% of it sometimes is about two-tone because that's the biggest thing that's come out of the city music-wise. Of course, it's massive and it's kind of like what people want to see, you know, more than anything. But there is other things in here, lots of other things. And, of course, I think after the two-tone, we've got the Delia Derbyshire fans. Then we've got a Beatles corner. That brings in a lot of people. And, of course, our 50s, 60s, there's lots of people that like all that, you know, the beat generation of all the bands and everything that were around in Coventry at the time in the early 60s. So there's lots to attract different people. But, yeah, as I say, we can never get away, and why would we, from two-tone? Because we love it, and it's what brings people in. Yeah, and I can see uh, just behind me the Enemy stand. So the Enemy was a band that I had when I was growing up. Um, I think, obviously, I was in my, my 20s at that time. But the, the Enemy, another band that's really close to the city... Absolutely, yeah. Um, it was kind of like almost no disrespect to all the other groups and bands and artists that have been around, but it was very much the second coming because everything was very similar 
So in those early days for the specials, it was like you know, one of the things was all my sister's cousin's next door neighbour knows the bass guitarist out of that band. And it was exactly the same for the enemy. And also all the bands that came out of the scene because there was a leading band that was vanguarding the whole thing and getting in the charts. And suddenly the whole scene takes off in that city, i.e. Coventry. And it was exactly the same for the specials and exactly the same for the enemy. It just produced loads of bands that wanted to be the next chart band. I think something that, that I've seen that runs through the enemy and through through specials is something that you and I echo ourselves is our pride in the city. Um, and I think that both of the bands have never hidden the fact that they're from the city and wear it loud and proud. Yeah, there were two of the, uh, the bands that always made it quite clear they were from Coventry. Um, King as well, you know, Paul King always said, we're King and we're from Coventry. So there were quite a few bands that were quite proud of it. You know, one or two didn't, but that's up to them. But yeah, definitely, they, they did have that in common. And of course, uh, we'll live and die in these towns. The video for that was very much a pastiche on the Ghost Town video, although they were driving around in a, in a Jag, of course, as opposed to a... Uh, a Vauxhall Cresta PA, 1961. <laughs> yeah, and you know that well, because obviously at the Music Museum, you do have the ghost town car that people can sit in and have their photos taken. Oh, yes. Yeah, we love that. You, even you saying that, it's just a joy for us to be, at, to be able to have that car in here. And of course, that's the one, that's the thing that so many people want to sit in. And, you know, we, we get told quite a lot that people were watching that video back in the day, people of a certain age, and they were saying, I would have given everything to be in that car with those guys. Well, now you can be in that car. And, and, it, and it's great. And it's the car as well. Some people, somebody put online the other day about a reproduction. And it's, no, it's not a reproduction. This is the car. This is the actual car that they used in, the, in that groundbreaking video that was recorded in London in the rather high tunnel, most of it. And uh, yeah, it's just great to have it here. I remember the first time you told me about it um, and the thing that always sticks with me was the the job you had to actually bring it upstairs into the museum because it's not on the base floor, is it? Obviously, it's, it's one floor up. It is one floor up and uh, so many people say, how did you get it in here? That's, we get that all the time and sometimes they say, well, we cut a hole in a roof, we got a crane, but of course we didn't. Uh, that Saturday morning when it arrived, it arrived literally in bits, you know, like one of your jigsaws. It, <laughs> it just arrived like that in all bits and then the... The museum was just covered in bits of Vauxhall and eventually, you know, thank, thanks to Steve and, and his team, uh, Steve Kearns, who put it all together. He was a genius that, that made that happen. And uh, they just hung everything on this metal frame. And in the end, it was just incredible. We all stood back when it had been done, you know, Little bits and pieces had to be finished, but it was basically there. And we just stood there, and, and all the volunteers were just inane grins on our faces, thinking, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, it's just amazing. So, yeah, we just loved it. But it, it was quite a task. And you know when you have this idea, because you're a guy that has lots of ideas, and I've always had this this wish to have the ghost town car here. I always think, well, we'll find it one day and we'll have it here. And it sounded so easy, but the reality of it, we needed somebody like Steve to to, uh, to make it happen. And uh, and if, if it hadn't been for him, then we couldn't have done it. And uh, you know what? The funny thing was the three of the things that I wanted – and people used to ask me, what, what's the, the holy grail that you haven't got? And it was like the ghost town car, Jerry Dammer's keyboard or his organ. And, uh, the other one was the Lieutenant Pigeon piano. 
And we ended up getting them all in the same year, which is incredible. And they're all in the museum and people could come and have a look. Well, I think that speaks volumes of the museum and what it brings to the city is that it is seen as that centre point for that heritage. So it seems a natural place for them to be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, people just love it uh, when they come here. You know, we don't get many, well, any complaints, really. Uh, And uh, yeah, and people expect to see things like that when they go to a museum that's representing whatever. So it's nice to have what we call those wow items in here, those hero props that people can look at and think, wow, that's the actual one. You know, I mean, of course, the the car is amazing, but the keyboard as well. Mm. You know, the fact that the history of that uh, is just incredible. The fact that Ghost Town, that iconic song, was actually written on there. I mean, we just love that every day. I mean, we would just walk past it every day. But occasionally I'll stop and look at it and think, yeah, wow. Let's take a step back then. Go back to your history in the city. So tell me about you growing up in the city and kind of where you were born or where you grew up. Right, well, I'm a cov kid through and through. I was actually born just a few streets from where we are. In fact, you got to St. Michael's Road. Yeah, but probably after St. Michael's Road, I think the next road would be Braze Lane. I was born in Six Braze Lane. Uh, overlooking the five ways as it was, not just a chip shop, but literally the five ways. And I was born there, yeah, actually in the front room. Um, uh, so you couldn't get any more Coventrian than that. Proud Coventrian, uh, grew up uh, loving my city uh, and, then, of course, loving local music. And those two, two items, you know, those two things were bound to cross at some point. And, of course, whenever they cross now, that's my that's my big interest, you know, Coventry and music. So yeah, anything like that, uh, it, it, Coventry just inspired me. You know, I, I was never very adventurous. Obviously, I've never left the city, and you know, so many people go off to America or Australia and everywhere else, which is great. You know, to seek their fortune to become something else. But for me, I kind of I reinvented the wheel if you like I sort of look for a niche and of course one of the things uh, for me that that wasn't available was a a music encyclopedia from Coventry and Warwickshire and I remember it was um, one night it was the night and I think most people will have lived this night just before Christmas had finished New Year and you're going back to work the next morning right that horrible horrible feeling and uh, I remember we were we were just lying there, you know, trying to get to sleep. And it suddenly came to me. I'd, I'd, I'd got a little book that had gone through various different places in in the in Britain, and it was like, and it highlighted some of the things. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to do a book? And then we just lay there, and we were talking about, oh, we could get you know King in there and Hazel O'Connor. And then I started writing the book. You know, I was still at this time. I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but I was working at Peugeot uh, in those days. I'd, I'd originally worked at the Morris, so very much, um, you know, car factory. I'd, I'd done all that, you know, although it was never, like somebody said the other day, they spent like 40 years in a job which wasn't right for them. And of course, same here. It wasn't right for me. Uh, but I, I, I needed all that time to realise. And of course, you know, once you start getting money, it's difficult to leave. So anyway, we, we, we got the book off the ground and that was it, you know. And then I ended up, you know, suddenly when you've written a book, you've become an expert, right? So you probably know that. You, you suddenly become, the, you know, people take notice of you, whereas doors wouldn't open. Now the doors were opening. And it was just at the right time, the Telegraph, Coventry 
Evening Telegraph, as it was at the time, were looking for uh, for do new articles, and they were doing like a nostalgia and like a history nostalgia. Then they were looking for a music one, and I just happened to send in some copy to them and say, "Look, you know, I'd love to do this regular column for you." And it was like instead of coming back saying, "Oh, you should have come last year," or blah de blah. No, it was saying, "Yeah, we want this. Come in and talk." So we went in and talked, and I ended up, you know, actually being paid for that. Uh, so with that and the book and all the other little things that were going on, I was able to get rid of real work, you know, never worked in a real job since. You know, that's, I don't know, about 18 years ago or something now, thank goodness, you know. And so I got out of that, a job I didn't like. And then suddenly I was part of the Coventry infrastructure and uh, loved every minute of it. So in terms of the, the music of the city, obviously you've aligned yourself to the music from the city. What were the biggest bands when you were kind of growing up that really influenced you? Uh, what, from Coventry? Probably a bit of both, really. What was the music that you listened to and then how did you access that locally? For Coventry-wise, obviously, I hate to say it, you know, but there wasn't anything, you know, like Two-Tone that changed everything for everybody, you know, in the city. And it was more, it was a whole movement. It wasn't just a band, you know, lots of cities have big bands that come out there, but we had a whole movement. So, you know, obviously, you know, I remember Lieutenant Pigeon was the first first band from Coventry to have a number one. You know, a lot of people would probably say, I thought that would be the specials, but it's not. Uh, Moldy Old Doe was number one for four weeks, 1972, in the November of 1972. And uh, I'll just do my favourite bit of music trivia from Coventry, of course. While that was number one in Britain, in, in America, my dingaling from Chuck Berry was number one over there, and they were both recorded in Coventry. That's probably never going to happen again. I wish it would, but I can't see it. But, yeah, so uh, so I suppose, you know, it, it's kind of hard. I suppose local bands, you know, local bands, there weren't that many, really. I mean, there were you know, there's bands called Barnabas, they were a great band playing locally, and we we enjoyed them. But there there really wasn't really much, and of course then we we move on a little bit till the advent of Two Tone, and of course that was a great awakening for me, a great awakening for the city, and of course the music scene in general, not just here but beyond. You know, it it, it was great times, and of course you know when the uh, when the flame of punk had died, everybody was wondering when the next thing big thing was coming from and they were all all looking down to london but behind them coming out of Coventry was the two-town movement and um so that was just absolutely exciting times for me uh i remember actually going to uh, mr george and seeing the Coventry automatics and did i see the future of two-town did i see the future of Coventry music well no i didn't i don't remember much about that gig i only know i was there and ironically, I was paid in by a lady who would eventually end up being a wife of one of the specials, which is kind of weird. But, uh, you know, that's how it goes. But, uh, yeah, so I was there in the early days. And, of course, when Gangsters hit, I remember hearing Gangsters for the first time and being told, that's that band, Comptry Automatics, we went to see. That's them. And it was like, whoa, you know, this is incredible. That's Screecher Breaks. To me, that kind of like starts it all. That's the start of two-town for me. And um, we were so proud, so proud to walk around Coventry with our badges, you know, Coventry Scarboy badges and things like that. And we used to see the, the guys, you know, in, in the uh, Dog and Trumpet and uh, the, the local pubs and everything, all the members of the specials and selector. 
And you know what? You know, we used to say, God, it's dead weird seeing them around. You know, how strange is that to see them? They're great. You know, they're our heroes, but they talk to us and it's lovely. And of course, at the time, you didn't realise, but years later when you talk to them now, it was even weirder for them mm. because, you know, they were just a bunch of guys, you know, the specials and selector. There were 14 people that were just doing it and making music in Coventry and suddenly there they were on top of the pops, which is just amazing, you know. Uh, so that's how it was, you know. And, of course, you know, as we talked about, you know, the specials always mentioned they're from Coventry and they were very proud of it. And of course, we were very proud to have them. I remember going to Lorette de Mar in Spain and uh, Gangsters was at and its peak position at number six on the chart and asking them to play it. And we had our, we had the first badges. We had them specially done. I designed them. And uh, a friend of mine, Deirdre Harris, she actually worked for a design place and they put them all together. And we've actually got one here. It's the badge that launched millions of others. And you know all about your badges, of course. You're the man. But uh, we, we started those. We were all wearing the badges and skanking around. And it was this feeling of pride. This is our band. You know, we're from Comptry. And this is our band. And, of course, we didn't realise at the time it was just going to get bigger and bigger. And Comptry became something of an epicentre for the music industry. You know, be it for like two and a half, three years. But it was just a joy while it lasted. I had the exact same thing with the enemy. So I remember I went to Ibiza, I think it was. We landed down and they played, what would they have played? Had enough maybe in the first bar we went into. And you almost wanted to like point at everyone, look at me, look, I'm from that place that they are from. Like it was something that we kind of latched onto and it kind of felt ours. And I guess that's how you felt, as you say, about the specials. What was the city like as a, as a nightlife then? Yeah, well, we, you know, we were growing up and enjoying it. You know, it wasn't without its problems, of course. But, uh, I mean, I, I I used to walk home at night, three o'clock in the morning after a nightclub. I think of that now, you know, it's just, but yeah, I mean, the nightlife was, I mean, it was great in those days. I mean, I was writing for Brumbeat, so I was a music journalist back in the day, in the in the early 80s. And um, I've got still got uh, diaries that have a list in the back of stuff that was on and I had to pick where I was going because there was like so much going on in the city. You know, it's that exciting. Of course, the 80s were just a wonderful time for us, you know, for Coventry and its music because, as we say, the specials were there and everybody wanted to be in the next specials. Of course, Hazel O'Connor, another great role model, you know, with the punk and the breaking glass. A lot of the girls wanted to be Hazel O'Connor. So there was lots going on and it was just... You know, when people say in, in hindsight and nostalgia, oh, there were great days, but I remember being part of that. Same with the punk. You know, you, you felt they were part of something. Something's happening and you're in it and you love that. And that was really exciting. And of course, the two-tone was even more because it was our city and everybody was, you know, talking about it. I remember there was a piece in the in Sounds and there was a, a band from Hereford, I think they called The Photos, and they did a track on, on their album, which was Scary. And the, the guy in, in, who was reviewing the album said, well, of course, they're quite close. Hereford's close to Coventry. So obviously they're going to get that scar feeling. And of course, you know, Hereford's not that close to Coventry, but it was nice because everybody wanted to talk about Cov. You know, they were talking about bands, you know, like God's Toys and Reluctant Stereotypes and all these other bands that were coming out of the city. And everybody wanted to talk about it. And it made it really exciting. And it was like, wow, this is our city. You know, as I said before, I didn't really have much to look at as far as local music. But wow, I have had from then onwards, it was just wow, you know. 
And I think that's something that I echo myself. Coventry used to be a place that I whispered I was from. It wasn't somewhere that I shouted I was from. Um, and I guess that you saw that initially. We rode through it with, with kind of specials where we were on the map. And then I guess did that peak off naturally as Two Tones started to kind of, not the legacy of it, but in terms of the immediacy of it, because I guess the, the specials split. When was it in the 80s? I yeah, well, 1981, yeah, around summer 81, really, was the last time uh, the specials played with the classic lineup with Jerry Dammers, of course, at the Butts Stadium gig, Rock Against Racism, ironically, you know, or quite rightly, really, that they should finish there. And of course, at least three people on that stage knew the name, the Fun Boy Three. And of course, they split to become the Fun Boy Three, and everybody else went their own separate ways. And Roddy had his band, and, you know, Horace was a general public. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was still there. I mean, obviously, they'd started a legacy that was never going to go away. And of course, Two Tone did continue record labels. There were other bands, less scary, more Blue Eyed Soul, the Polonaires, Friday Club, uh, the Higsons, bands like that. Um, so, you know, and Funboy 3 carried on. And, and, and then, of course, we went into King, you know, from the Two Tone. We had King. And then after that in the 80s, of course, we had uh, the Primitives uh, as well. And, of course, Stock Aiken and Waterman and Funboy 3 were still doing it. So it was quite like the 80s for us were just amazing. It was just an amazing decade, uh, which we loved. So, yeah, there was, there was always something going on. So, you know, it, it was there. And, of course, as you've sort of just hit on, you know, Coventry was on the music map and that will stay forever. You know, it never goes away, you know, that 210. Of course, you know, we're talking about it now 40-odd years later, you know, I've just listened to a podcast now about the new specials album. You know, we're still talking about it. It's still that important to everybody. Of course, you know, some of the issues, unfortunately, the racial issues are still there. So there's still reasons to, to you know, give it big. Like the specials always gave it big, you know, always had something to say. And thank goodness they did. You know, uh, this is one of the things I, I say, probably going off tangent a little bit, but uh, politicised music, you know, in the 80s, there's a great book called Walls Come Tumbling Down, and it's all about that. Of course, we kind of need it more than ever, but the only people that seem to be doing anything, saying it how it is, is like the, the grime artists, some of the rap artists, and, of course, the specials. You know, I'm sure there's a few others out there as well, of course, but generally they're the big ones, and you kind of think, come on, guys, you know, we need more of this now. And I think the latest specials album, hasn't it, is, is all around protest songs, um, I think you had an early listening to it because I think you still have a relationship with lots of the members of the specials. I think you still see people come to the village and to the museum. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm friends with all of them. You know, I know them all. They, they all know me. So, uh, you know, that's one thing. You know, there has been obviously fractions and I don't think it's you know, any secret that people know that certain people don't necessarily send birthday and Christmas cards to each other. Shall we put it that way? As is life, though. As is life, of course. You know, but we we have to and will remain neutral. You know, the Coventry Music Museum and the Tucson Village is here and it's created by the fans, for the fans, and it, it's here to celebrate that music. So we we don't take sides. We can't afford to take sides. And to be honest, I, I couldn't be bothered. I don't want to go there. I just want to celebrate the, the great music they've created, not about in-band arguments. That's not part of it. I'm not, I'm not a band member and I don't want to know about it. So let, let's move move it on then. So as, as time's gone on, obviously your writing and your music, the reviews you still do with The Observer now, tell me about some of the work you did with Two-Tone Trail. Uh, well, the Two-Tone Trail was, uh, yeah, that, that was something I, I came up with. Uh, somebody actually in one of the Q magazines did do 
like a little two-turn trail. Uh, and then I, I mean, the, the the story that we we tell all the time is a friend of mine was approached by two Japanese tourists, two girls, asking where the where's the two-turn. And they were aware of this global brand. Of course, Coventry wasn't, and he reported this to me. And I thought, this is disgusting. We need to do something about it. So I, I started writing the book and creating the Two Town Trail, which is obviously you know a trail around Coventry, a tour where you can go all to the pertinent places. Uh, some have had disappeared by then. Some have disappeared since. But you know, they, you still get that feeling, and, and you can see the places and tell the story. Um, and then we did some badges and of course we had it available tourist information. And of course that was enough, but of course it wasn't enough. It was an itch that needed scratching again. And of course, once we'd started down that road, I, you know, for me, I'd like to think if I've done anything, it's commentary music tourism is, is my thing. You know, I think I'd like to think if anything, you know, once I've gone, people will remember me maybe obviously for the museum, but probably for that as well. Of course, the museum's part of, of course, that very big way, uh, Coventry Music Tourism. So the, uh, the next thing was to get the, uh, the Coventry Walk of Fame or the Coventry Stars, as we call it now. Um, the main reason for that to, to be created, as far as I was concerned, I mooted the idea and everybody got p- part of it and there was a big BBC thing, of course. I wanted the specials to be on there. I wanted a tangible place you know, for people to come and they could see the specials on this on this uh, plaque on the ground, which is still remains outside the BBC Coventry Warwickshire, of course, still there. And all, all the other names that aren't necessarily music, you know, Jimmy Hill's on there, Lady Godiva and lots of other people. But Pete Waterman's on there and the selector as well, uh, all got connections, of course, with Two Town. Uh, so it was like that. And then we went on from there. You know, we had the Coventry uh, Music Wall of Fame here, just outside in in the courtyard here at Two Town Village. If you look at the plaques, each one of those, they weren't just put up there. They were all part of a ceremony and everybody that was part of that, you know, came along and had their plaque. The ones obviously that were still with us, one or two had passed on, sadly. But yeah, so we did that. The the reason we did it, obviously, is to celebrate Coventry music and the fact that, you know, this is where Two Town's from. And I, I just think for many years, I was banging my head against the wall. You know, thank goodness that things have changed now. And of course, with City of Culture and everything, you know, uh, people are now talking about Two Town. We've just seen that documentary. Of course, it featured the museum, which was great. Uh, so it, it's great that people are aware that Coventry is the place. You know, I'm not trying to compare us to the Beatles, but Liverpool's got the Beatles, but the specials there are Beatles. You know, it, it's so huge. And you know, it still reverberates all over the world. You know, Two Tones massive. You know, South America, there's a huge scar movement. North America, I mean, Los Angeles even had a specials day. You know, hello, can we have one here? You know, maybe an idea. Um, I've been talking about that. I mean, you know, that I've been saying we should have a monument. You know, some of it could be difficult, but even a road called the Specials Road or Two Tone Road. You know, I think you know, this is part of, I think the council might be listening to this. I hope they will, and I hope they do. And I hope they realise that something should be done for that. You know, before the year's out, before or at least before City of Culture's out, we've got till next May, let's have a road, you know, two-tone road, something, you know, please. Uh, I think we need to do something like that. And because uh, these guys, I always say, if you go anywhere, and you'll probably know this as well, I'm sure, you know, you talk about Coventry, then people are going to talk about the Blitz, football team, Lady Godiva, and 
invariably they're going to be talking about two town. You know, two towns, and usually it's that's the top. Uh, they'll they'll be talking about two town, and that's what these people have created. Sometimes certain members of the band get forgotten, and you've got to think. You know, there's seven people created this in Coventry. You know, this is what this is a global brand. This is beyond anything. This is going all over the world. This is part of history, you know, which can never be taken away. Don't forget those guys, those seven guys, and of course the you know the seven people that were the selector as well, who are all part of the initial board for Two Tone. And I think it's right that they should be remembered, and more. I think celebration should be paid to them. And it isn't now the time. Like I remember, so I used to drink in Ellsdown, I used to play football in Ellsdown, and you'd see members of the specials, and I didn't particularly know who they were at that time. Um, and the football lads would go, oh, that, that's Linvold, that's. And, but I think now there is a resurgence. I think more than ever, obviously, the tour, the new music, the um, documentary, the, the spotlight there is on the city. If it's going to be done, surely now is the time to do some of that stuff. I think so, yeah. I mean, there's always the difficulty, like we were saying, you know, certain members of the band aren't on each other's Christmas card list. Uh, but I think, you know, hence the reason why it would be difficult necessarily to call a road anything else other than, of course, Brad, John Bradbury, who's no longer with us, then obviously I don't think anybody would have a problem with that. But I think, you know, if you had something like the Two-Town Lane or, mm-hmm. you know, like we did with Delia Derbyshire, we got a, a road named after Delia Derbyshire in Coventry, which was great. But we need something, I think, two-tone, you know, two-tone road or or something like that, which, you know, it's up there. Invite everybody along and it's up to them if they come or not. And, of course, you know, it's like a tourist thing as well. I mean, I, I would like to see a statue of Walt Jabsko. You know, obviously, he's the two-tone man, the black-and-white two-tone man. Uh, he should be in Coventry. There should be a statue. I had all these ideas. You know, I wanted to do... Getting back to music tourism, we have a have a thing, you know, various statues or whatever around all the different parts of the Two Town Trail, and maybe getting all the schools involved. And again, you know all about that. Again, schools involved, and having them write what it meant to them. You know, what did Ghost Town mean to them? What did a message to you, Rudy? What's your message? You know, but these things get forgotten and lost, and uh, quite often it it doesn't happen. You know, but yeah. It's what it's what I do, and it's what I love. So uh, you know, I I just, I just think you know the fact that two towns never gone away, and I just think they really ought to be. We got to make more of Coventry. You know, I think there's lots of things still that we could do. They don't necessarily cost a lot of money. It's pride, isn't it? I think that comes through everything you and I have spoken about today is pride. Um, and I think even you were involved in the mural that went up at the um, Paul Meadow. You know the the tile one yes, that went up there, yeah, but yeah. I've seen hundreds of photos of that. People are proud to take photos, so I think this is the time to do it. Mm-hmm. I think that it's always going to be led by the people. So I think if people want to be involved, I think we've got to let people like myself and Pete know, and we can keep dr- banging the drum of the pride of the city. Um, I really like the idea of having the Walt Jabsko statue. I think that could be something that we could really call an iconic for the city. Yeah. You know, almost in the same way Lady Godiva is iconic as a, as a statue. I think it would generate a similar kind of legacy that is what we want to do with Two Tone. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right, Pete, I'm not going to take any more of your time. Thank you so much for your time today. The Music Museum is an amazing place to visit. I come here regularly now, whether that's to pop in or to, and I still find new things every time I come in. Um, how is the best way for people to find out more about the museum? Well, if you Google, I'm not going to give that the URL, it's easy. Just Google Coventry Music Museum 
and go on the site. All the information's there. Or go on our Facebook site. You know, any uh, any anything like that. That's usually the best way of finding out. I will say we're open Thursdays to Sundays. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday we're closed. But if you come at that time from ten till about half three on a, a, a and most days Sunday we close a little earlier. Come along. You don't need to book. Everything's safe. And uh, come and enjoy yourselves. Absolute pleasure, Peter. I really enjoyed that, mate. Thank you. Thanks so much. And that concludes the second episode of the CovPod. What a guy Pete is. I could spend hours and hours talking to him. He was very generous with his time. But I think that gives you a snapshot of some of the work, the projects, and of course the museum that Peter has been involved in. And at the end of every single CovPod, we play the music of a local musician. This week, it's the turn of Jay Tennant and his track Journey Into The Night. Now, I heard this track earlier this week when it was released, and I contacted Jay straight away to ask if we could use it on the podcast, and I was thrilled when he said we could. Thanks again to the Institute for letting us use the track Healing Time as our opening music, and to Pete for being a great interviewee this week. I look forward to the next episode, which we'll be releasing in another couple of weeks, which will take another look at an important Coventry subject. Thanks again for your support. 